0: You are listening to Creation Talk, a Creation.com podcast, proclaiming the truth to honor the Creator while providing credible answers. Hello, I am Dr. Robert Carter. And I'm Keaton Halley. We are here discussing a very interesting question of how much evidence for evolution actually exists. Yeah, it's sort of an
1: awkward question for a couple of creationists to answer, isn't it? You and I don't believe in evolution, at least... You know, if we define it as universal common ancestry. Yeah, certainly not. We certainly do believe that there's biological change over time, but we don't believe that all living things are related back to one ancestor millions of years ago.
0: Absolutely not. And, you know, running up to this, Keaton and I were talking about, you know, what are we going to discuss? How are we going to answer this question? And we had some really fascinating insights that we wanted to share with you. So we're looking forward to this. We think this is going to be a fun topic to go over. So, Rob, you're a PhD biologist. Yep. Um, how, how would you answer the question,
1: is there evidence that supports evolution?
0: That question itself is very awkward. Because if I say, yes, there's evidence for evolution, then the evolutionists would say, ah, see that, we were right the whole time. Of course, there's some evidence for evolution. The same way there's evidence for creation. In fact, if you take the two competing theories and you do like a Venn diagram to look at what they claim and how much they overlap you find out that there's more overlap than most people understand, most people assume. And that area of overlap is critical. So yeah, there is data or there are data that support evolution, but most all that same exact data supports
1: creation. How we answer this question depends on how we define the term evidence, right? Yep. Do we mean it's like smoking gun proof for evolution? Then no, we we don't think there's evidence in that sense. But nope. most people, I think, would use the term evidence more loosely, like... I actually, thought of this analogy that I don't know if you've seen the movie My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's got some crass parts in the movie, so not yeah. I'm not necessarily endorsing it. But for those who have seen it, there's a couple of young men who uh, get accused of murder, right? And they it turns out all the evidence looks like it's strongly against them. They were at the scene of the crime, the convenience store. They their fingerprints are there, and they they
0: sort of admitted to a crime.
1: Yeah, they admit accidentally to what they thought was the crime they were being accused of, but it turns out they're still innocent. And so I think that's the way the evidence, that there's evidence for evolution, just like there was evidence for their guilt, uh, but it's not sufficient to prove it. And we think when you compare the two, creation and evolution, a lot of areas like you're talking about, the evidence just as strongly, if not more strongly, supports creation.
0: Yes. So one thing that the evolutionists like to use all the time is change over time. They say, if there's change over time, then they make a leap, therefore evolution must be true. But this is false, because one, change over time does not necessarily equal evolution because if the change goes downhill, or if it goes in a cycle, or if it goes into a dead end, Mm. that doesn't support evolutionary theory. Yeah. A
1: lot of change is consistent with a biblical model. You know, creationists don't deny that living things changed. We think all the... Animals that we have in the world today, all the land-dwelling, air-breathing
0: animals came from pears or sevens that were on board the ark. So, in the creationist model, we have our brilliant designer God putting into creation the ability to change and adapt to new environments. If that wasn't true, almost every species on earth would be extinct already. Yeah. So, change is actually a mark of God's brilliance. Right. And once we say that, we realize the area of overlap between these two theories is huge because we're saying, yeah, change is true. Lots of change is true. Yeah, and even the mechanisms that Darwin, you know, popularized
1: that that, that supposedly gave evolution credibility—things like natural selection, right—and later on, we incorporated mutations into the Darwinian theory. Creationists accept those things too. Yeah. We see natural selection happening; it's consistent with a biblical model, and mutations as well. That's consistent with creation being degraded since the fall, Um, harmful defects have been introduced as our DNA gets copied and so forth. So no problem with living things changing. No. Uh, What what other arguments do evolutionists use? What are some of the main areas that they focus on to say, oh, here's strong evidence that supports our theory?
0: The thing I hear the most is probably how similar humans are to chimpanzees. Yeah. Probably the most used argument, you know, humans and chimpanzees are Pick a percent: ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent, ninety-five percent, whatever their number that they want to use that day, and that supports evolution. And that's part of a
1: broader area of argument that where they just look at similarities in general, right? They talk about this term homology, yes, um, the sameness in different living things in their in their gross anatomy, their structure, like of their arms, the, the pentadactyl limb pattern that so many vertebrates have. Five digits, yeah. hands and feet and so forth. But as far as the human-chimp DNA similarity goes, um, again, there we can admit that there's
0: a great degree of similarity. But you know what? If chimpanzees didn't exist, they would look at humans and gorillas and say, see that? We're 95% identical. That's proof of common ancestry. Yeah. If gorillas didn't exist, they'd look at us and I know lemurs say, see that? We're 85% similar, therefore common ancestry is true. Mm -hmm. So it's a moving goalpost. And the number actually doesn't matter because no evolutionist made a prediction before we sequenced the human and chimpanzee genomes. No one said it has to be this percent identical for evolution to be true Mm. because we didn't know the number. So it comes out to, depending on how you answer it, I mean, there are creationists calculating 80%, 85% yeah evolutionists really they try to keep it as high as possible because if it's less than a certain amount, they can't explain the differences even in six or seven million years, and that's critical for them, so our overlapping spheres only works to a degree
1: mm-hmm.
0: as long as it's a high degree of similarity, both sides can both can claim that as evidence for their side yeah it it would be consistent with creation
1: because we could say that. Uh, the similarity is not due to common ancestry that we inherited so much of our DNA from our common ancestor, but rather God is the one who created us yeah. to be similar. Yeah, because... And he, he could have good reason for that. He, you know, our bodies have to perform a lot of the same functions. It, it makes sense that we would have the same DNA coding for the, to make the same proteins to build up our, our bodies and so forth.
0: We look very similar. We eat the same foods. Now, we're smart enough to invent clothing and, and central heating so we don't have to live in a rainforest. But if we weren't that smart, we would be living in the same environment as them. Yeah. So, why would you think we'd be very genetically different? We have all these things in common. Of course, everyone predicts that we'd be more similar to chimpanzees than we would be to maybe, you know, an elephant or a rutabaga.
1: Yeah, we could predict that without evolution because, yeah, we see on the surface level we're both mammals and we're even very similar. Yeah. So, yeah. And, And humans, of course, are much more than their DNA as well. So, I mean, we do see a lot of differences in our intelligence
0: and our how we relate to God, you know? We, yeah, we have a spirit and they don't. And plus, in the creation model, God could have done it any way he wished. He could have made us and, and chimpanzees almost 100% identical. Yeah. Or he could have made us, you know, 5% identical. So, anywhere in that range is perfectly acceptable to the creation model. Yeah. Now, but for the evolutionary model, if it's less than like 95% similar you get down to the 90% similar level, they can't do that. Mathematically, their argument falls apart. Yeah. Because humans were supposed to have diverged from our common ancestor with
1: chimps about six or seven million years ago, right? Yeah. In that amount of time, how can you get that degree of, of difference? Yeah. A lot of mathematicians have tried to, those who study population genetics, try to calculate how quickly can those mutations occur and... It seems like it's problematic to get that degree of difference.
0: There's a mathematical limit to all this. Yeah. But it's worse than that. There's also a geological limit. Hmm. Because in the evolutionary model, you can have chimpanzees and humans at whatever degree of distance you want, as long as you have enough time. But if you want to say, oh, no, see, humans and chimpanzees are more different than we thought. They have to have an ancestor 20 million years ago. No, because that puts monkeys in the time of the, of the dinosaurs. Yeah. And so, they, they would have to totally scramble everything they've said about the fossil record for 100 or more years. So, they put themselves in a box, which I think is kind of funny. And then the math is saying, you can't do what you think you can do. Interesting.
1: Let's talk about a few other areas then where evolutionists point to evidence that they say supports evolution. We talked about changes in living things and similarities, like the genetic similarity. How about fossils? They often point to alleged transitional fossils. Yes, they do. Saying the missing links have been found. What do we say to that?
0: Well, this is a, another awkward subject because it depends on how you define things. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the so-called missing links that they claim today weren't used 20 years ago. Mm. And the ones they used 20 years ago weren't used 40 years ago. The, the missing link uh, status has a very short lifetime <laughs> before it's pushed aside or a new branch is formed or w- in, on a tree or whatever. But not only that, most all of the transitional forms that they claim fit within the creationist model of change within a kind. Yeah. So, we were talking earlier about all the different types of cats in the world. You know, two cats came off of Noah's Ark, two cat-like creatures, we should say, and they gave rise to everything from a house cat to a tiger. Yeah. And they're just cats.
1: We can tell that from... The fact that um, so many different species of cats today, even though they're classified as different species, which is supposed to mean they don't freely and and naturally interbreed, but they actually can hybridize and and produce offspring.
0: There was a really interesting article in the Journal of Creation a couple years ago uh, delineating the cat kind. Mm -hmm. And the author showed all these hybridizations between different cat species. And when you look at it, there is a genetic link between the kitty cat sitting on your sofa And lions and tigers. Hmm. Yeah. Because all the big cats in genus panthera, they can all interbreed. And they can interbreed with the medium-sized cats who can interbreed with the smaller cats. And they can interbreed with the smallest cats. Yeah. So even though a lion and a house cat can't interbreed because one of them would get eaten, genetically, there's a continuum between them. It's just one cat kind. Yeah.
1: And so you're saying the same thing is true of the fossils that we find. Yep. Variations in the fossil record, like within horses. And for example, horses and zebras and donkeys- Yep, those are the living specimens that are all related, but we we do find some other distinct horse types in the fossil record and yet we would say that they all fit into that broad category. They all, they are all related and there's some transitioning going on there, but it's not something that's a non-horse changing into a horse.
0: That's right. But see that brings up an interesting argument from 100 years ago that's still stuck in a lot of people's minds is the horse series. It was been textbooks, National Geographic, newspapers, you know, everywhere you can look at Evidence Revolution, they would have a picture of a little teeny three-toed horse g- going up to the modern horse. It's not true. Yeah. The geology of horses has been completely turned over since. All these different types of horses that they had in this nice series, they find them all together now. Mm-hmm. So, that whole gradual horse evolution series is out the window. Yeah. As some a relic of the past, something that wasn't true and yet it was used to push evolution in a huge way. Yeah. And so we would
1: see those as just variations within the horse kind, right? Rather than a nice yeah. stepwise progression from something that's radically different.
0: Yes. There's something else interesting about the fossil record. There's a lot more diversity in the fossil record than exists today. Mm. Pick a category, like just think of uh, rhinoceroses. Yeah. There's what, two or three species of rhinoceroses today, and I bet they can interbreed if we put them in a zoo together. Get okay, the black rhino, the white rhino, the Java rhino. You know, not that much diversity. But you look in the fossil record, there are rhinoceroses with two horns, five horns, horns that go up and made a T. I mean, it's crazy diversity in the fossil record. Mm. And yet today there's less because only two rhinoceros like creatures were on Noah's Ark. Mm. They only captured a snapshot of the diversity. So, a lot of the so-called evolution over time, the transitional forms that evolutionists are claiming is really pre-flood versus post-flood diversity.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Like, yeah, what you don't find in the fossil record is sort of filling in the gaps between the divergences among living things today, right? Like, you find creatures that fill in the, the gaps of, like, adding to variety within kinds, and you might find even brand new kinds like dinosaurs. We don't have living dinosaurs, but that... That doesn't fill in a gap between any living creature, right? It just is adding a whole nother group that evolution has no transitional forms leading up to.
0: Yes. And it's even worse the further back in the so-called fossil record that you go. Mm -hmm. Because we can argue about dogs and cats being carnivores and related to bears or something like that. And they're all mammals. Okay, whatever. But turn it over Mm -hmm. and go from the bottom up and you run into this thing called the Cambrian Explosion. Yes. Where... All these phyla just suddenly appear. And in, in the space of time, the evolutions are claiming that whales evolved from land animals, maybe 10 million years in their model. We don't just have mammal to mammal. We have jellyfish and coral and, and all these other things, these massively different types of organisms. Boom. Yeah. Their body plans are different. Their are phylum level differences. So, completely different body types. With no evidence of evolution for them. Yeah. So, the greatest evolutionary leaps are covered in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of evidence. That's the opposite of what evolution would predict. Exactly. The opposite of what Darwin expected. And Darwin was aware of the Cambrian explosion, actually. Oh, yeah. If you have a a phylum-level event, the number of evolutionary experiments that must have happened to produce that is astronomical. And yet, when we look in the fossil record, the evidence for that isn't there. If people want more on that, they can watch our video, Evolution's
1: Achilles Heels, where we uh, go into some detail about the Cambrian explosion. Well, if we have time, let's maybe hit on one more evidence for evolution. Okay. This is more of a theological argument, but it's there's a fancy term for it. It's called disteleology. So, teleology is like finding purpose or design. Uh, disteleology would be poor design. Um, so this is the argument that evolutionists make that well, look at different features of the human body, for example. The eyes, the bad back. The- they're actually poorly designed. Yeah. And it makes more sense that evolution would bring about you know something that's not that well made. It's just kind of pieced together from what was available. And so a god wouldn't create something that was that poorly designed.
0: So what's our response to poor design? First of all, just look at the human body. We are amazingly engineered. Yeah, the back, the limbs, the eyes—it is shocking when you look at how well-engineered we are. Take out injury, which is a huge factor. Take out uh, disease. Take out bad genetics, and I mean, everyone would look like Adonis. <laughs> We'd be these ripped, muscular, strong people who can run far, and be really smart. But over thousands of years since the fall. Since Adam rebelled against God, we have all this buildup of bad mutations and diseases and bad environments that have affected us. And that's really one of the huge things. I mean, you and I, we're kind of like scholars, we do a lot of things sitting down in a chair. That's about the stupidest thing you can do <laughs> for the health of your body. yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, it, it, it atrophies your muscles and, and your hip bones and everything. And so you know, when we hit 80, 90 years old that's why I don't like look like Adonis, by the way. I blame it on that. Uh, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, a lot of the distilology arguments are actually arguments that fit perfectly within the creation, fall, yeah. several thousand years of accumulation of bad things like mutations. Basically, two
1: responses I would give. Yeah. Number one, sometimes the evolutionists have misunderstood something. They think it's a poor design, and it turns out they're actually just ignorant of how it is a marvelous design, after all. Yeah. Like our eyes, you yeah. know, they're not actually backwardly wired as they claim.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a great one. By the way, backwardly yeah. wired retinas, com. Just type in eyes backward. You can see the full answer, yeah. It is absolutely not true, and you hear it all the time.
1: Yeah. All right, go ahead. And then just secondly is what you mentioned about the fall, that our bodies are deteriorating, we have mutations accumulating in the human gene pool, and so forth. So, there, there are lots of reasons why uh, we're broken today compared to what God made in the beginning. Yeah. And then you have to also
0: factor in providence. During that short interval after creation, before the fall happened, If Adam hadn't sinned, his body wouldn't have fallen apart like our bodies are falling apart. God would have providentially made sure that a limb never fell and landed on his head and broke his spine. Yeah. Not going to happen. And so, therefore, he would have maintained his robustness for an infinite amount of time, which hopefully we're going to experience in heaven. When everything is restored and we're giving new bodies – and God is providentially orchestrating it to make sure we don't ever trip over root and fall off a cliff to our deaths. It's not going to happen in heaven.
1: We've talked about how this question, is there evidence for evolution? Well, depending on how you define it, we could say, yeah, but it's not particularly good evidence, especially when you compare it to the creation alternative. That's true. There's lots more arguments that evolutionists give and we can show answers to those like biogeography and things on creation.com if people want to search for more. And we'll see you next time.